Midwife calling. Hello, and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we're taking each episode of Call the Midwife one by one, spoiler free. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the sixth and final episode of season one of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Jamie Payne, who has directed the last three episodes of the season. And it was written by Heidi Thomas, who created the show and wrote the first two episodes of the season. All right, so let's get into the episode, the recap as we go. Mature Jenny narrates about the beauty of newborns and the beauty of the elderly as Sister Monica Jones stands on a beach without her habit. Constable Noakes calls the Nanata's house to let them know that Sister Monica Jones was found on the pier, and he drives her back home. They all race to help, warming her and mending her feet. Dr. Turner shows up and discusses Sister Monica Jones' mental health with Sister Bernadette. Sister Monica Jones has developed pneumonia and refuses to take penicillin from Sister Evangelina. Mother Jesu Emanuel arrives to t- sit by Sister Monica Jones' bedside and convince her to take the drugs. Over a montage, they administer the drugs to her and she recovers. Meanwhile, Chummy gets a letter from her mother saying that she's coming to visit, and Jenny also gets a letter, this one from Gerald, saying that his heart is broken and that he wants her to reach out to him. This is once again uh, mature Jenny talking about the elderly, so Mm -hmm. this is yet another hint of her future career caring for the elderly. Yeah, and she like very explicitly starts off this episode like newborns are beautiful, but there's beauty in old age too, and like mm. makes that connection so clearly. Yeah. Um, as Sister Monica Joan is standing by the pier, you know, disheveled and disoriented, we hear the singing from the nuns. Mm-hmm. That's the Compline service that she's not there for. Presumably Compline. Compline is basically what we always hear. We don't actually hear them say Compline, though. We hear them singing the psalm. And they would, as part of a Compline service, they would sing a psalm every... A psalm or a portion of a psalm with every service. Mm -hmm. So the psalm this time is Psalm 121, which goes, I will lift my eyes up unto the hills from whence cometh my help. This is Cranmer's translation, which is part of the BCP, which... Book of Common Prayer, which is the version that they are singing. Mm-hmm. My help cometh even from the Lord, who hath made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved, and he that keepeth thee will not sleep. Uh, and there's more. It's not that long, but uh, there's an idea seeded right at the beginning of this episode that follows through the episode. And I think when I, like... I think he won't allow your foot to slip. And then in a second, Sister Monica Jones' foot is going to slip. Mm -hmm. But there's also like a sense of who is taking care of who. And Sister Monica Jones, through this whole episode, is like 
one of the questions of it is who is taking care of her, mm-hmm. who is not taking care of her, who should be taking care of her, who took care of her in her childhood, who takes care of her in her old age. And there's other people too who like the idea of who takes care of people mm-hmm. when they're children, when they're adults, when they're alone, when they shouldn't be alone. And the psalm starts off with that idea of who, where does your help comes from? Your help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Hmm. Or that's what the nuns say. Yes. Uh, Sister Monica Joan, throughout this series, uh, is, it's unclear, and this is what Sister Bernadette says, it's unclear how much she's like not with it and how much she just likes to be eccentric and likes to quote Keats and things. And like she often is coherent and and uh mentally present just weird and eccentric you get the impression that sister monica joan in her youth was still kind of unusual this is like luna lovegood as an old lady exactly (laughs) excellent comparison yeah like I love the way that Sister Bernadette actually puts it, right? She says, we don't know whether she has dementia or whether she's just willfully eccentric. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like, it's possible, like, they don't know. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. But what he says is, if they, you know, wander out into the street in their nightgown, they probably have dementia. If they're brought home by the police. Right, and brought home by the police, yes. And like... And that is, like, this, her going to the water, why does she do it? It's never explained at all in this episode why she would take off in her nightgown. Does she sleepwalk? Does she Does she have some form of dementia? And it's, like, it's also uh, kind of startling to see any of the nuns without their habits. Yes, absolutely. So seeing her like in her nightgown and with her hair down Mm -hmm. is disconcerting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every time I see any of the nuns like in their real life in like, you know, the 2010s, it's always really off-putting of like, oh man, they look like a regular person. They have makeup on and like Judy Parfit, who plays Sister Monica Joan, is a redhead, is a curly red hair. So obviously they put on a, w- a wig on her to be this, or like do something to her hair to show she has like this gray hair. Right. It's really interesting. <laughs> and they all, I mean, they all exist in the present. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um. When Sister Monica Joan, I said, I talked about her slipping on the steps. Mm-hmm. And I just like, that moment, I watched this episode twice and yeah. both times it like, <sighs> yeah. shivers up my spine of discomfort at like, she's old and frail and I know it's an actor and I know it's whatever, but like, her slipping on those stone steps is so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and upsetting. It is, it is. I remember we used to have uh, these tile steps going up to our old apartment and our two-year-old, maybe even less than two then, slipped and fell on them and smashed her nose. And it was like such an unforgiving material. And that stone as well is like, if you slip on stone steps, mm-hmm. you could hit your head and die. Like those are not a forgiving thing to fall down. It's not like falling down carpet. So 
still on Sister Monica Joan, mm-hmm. when Mother Jesu Emmanuel comes, mm. she says, Sister Monica Joan says to her that she misses her mother. Yeah. I miss my mother. And maybe that's an answer to, like, we don't connect the dots, but why is she going down to the pier? Somehow it's connected to her mother. Yeah. Uh, I miss my mother, and it. I never thought I would in my old age, Mm -hmm. for she tried me very sorely in my youth. Yeah. And there's this, like, it's connected again to, like, how the episode starts, how Jenny starts with, like, newborns and old people, Mm -hmm. birth and death, and, like, she left, we know by the, we've, we've seen hints of this, or we've seen it mentioned a little bit earlier in the season, and we hear it spelled out even more directly later in this episode but like she left her parents her family without their approval Mm -hmm. like she joined a convent and it cut herself off from her family by doing it yeah in her youth and now she is old Mm -hmm. and she has been a nun for much longer than she was with her family Mm -hmm. and she but she still has that connection. She still has that connection. Yeah. And she misses her mother. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, there's something very touching about that. There is. Yeah, exactly. She tried me very sorely. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And then like, through the first six episodes, Sister Monica Joan has been like, you know, an eccentric and somewhat frail figure, and she starts off saying she's very old. By the end of this episode, we know that she's physically fine. Mm-hmm. So why do they start this episode with, like, she's might be dying, she's in danger of death? Mm. When it most of the episode, that's like a little bit at the beginning, and then most yeah. of the episode is focused on her mental health, and her physical health kind of recovers. Mm-hmm. And we're not really worried about her physical health for... The last two-thirds of the episode. Yeah. I think that is to, to show us that she is strong physically. Right. Is that uh, that any of her any of her troubles are just physical, just, not just, but any of her troubles are mental. That so you put her in, like, pneumonia and physically frail, and then she recovers to show that she's exactly. a person. She's still able to recover from stuff. Exactly. That is, she isn't one pneumonia away from death. Right. Right. It's interesting how she says in this first part that she refuses to take the penicillin. She doesn't want dead matter inside of her. Rotting matter. Rotting matter says. inside of her. She she says she says uh, penicillin is not a miracle drug. When like oh it will not change the world. Penicillin will not, not change, change the, the world. world. But it's for Nostradamus said nothing about it. Exactly, but it super did. Penicillin yep. made a giant difference to the state of the world. Yeah. And uh, the outcome of World War One, frankly, because people could recover from infection. Right. It made a big difference. And so, totally. frankly, penicillin totally changed the world. So she's just dead wrong yeah. about that. She's completely wrong. <laughs> the um, conversation, I'm going to, I watched this, both the DVD and the Netflix again. Mm-hmm. Uh Unlike the last episode, there isn't like a major subplot cut out from the Netflix version, but there's mm-hmm. a line here and there all the way through. Hmm. And one of the things that's cut out is the, or that's cut short, is the conversation between Sister Evangelina and Sister Monica Joan on the 
like trying to convince her to take the penicillin. Mm. And it's just like they trim a little bit the antagonism between them. <laughs> so like when one of my favorite hilarious moments when Sister Monica Jones says to Sister Bernadette, are you trying to conjure up a fart? <laughs> Sister Evangelina. Sister Evangelina, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sister Monica Jones says to Sister Evangelina, are you trying to conjure up a fart? <laughs> no, I am praying I for strength. strength. <laughs> yeah. Cut out of the Netflix. Oh, that's a great moment. That's too bad. Speaking of mothers and mothers trying children very sorely. Mm-hmm. Shami gets a letter from her mother. Yes. She calls Mater. Mater is Latin for mother. Mm. Peter is Latin for father. father. I think she mentions Peter. Yeah, she does. She yeah. does, absolutely. So that's a very posh thing to very posh refer thing. to your mother in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, her mother comes... Like once or twice a year, to from Madeira to get uh, to get fitted for clothing. Like she doesn't even visit Chummy. So yeah. like this estrangement between Sister Monica Joan and her mother is very much echoed in this estrangement between Chummy and her mother, and in both of them being these upper class yeah. women choosing to be lower class. And that's we kind of see by the end of this episode by the like jewels mm-hmm. but uh even before that if you are savvy you can detect in sister monica jones accent yeah that i mean and also you can kind of detect part of that it's part of the part of the antagonism between uh sister evangelina and sister monica jones yes. but like we haven't quite seen it spelled out but sister monica jones family was in the same class as chummies yeah like exactly very posh very rich yeah exactly um and this disapproval that comes from that yeah from her choosing to to be in poverty choosing to be around poverty people i mean we'll see that even more later but just like she doesn't come and visit chummy until chummy has a boyfriend until Chummy says she's, like, stepping out with someone in uniform. And in uniform, yeah. Yeah. And it's what, oh, it's like this sense, you, they, in economical storytelling, they give you so quickly, they're like, Chummy's mother has always been disappointed in her. Yeah. And you get that before you meet Chummy's mother, you get that by, like, I mentioned I was stepping out with a man, uh, it's what she's dreamed of all her life. Yeah. It's like that little line gives you such a sense of like, Chummy is not what her mother wants from a daughter. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Jenny gets this letter from Gerald is the last part of this recap. Oh, Gerald. Gerald. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So in this, you know, we get the... His heart is broken. Jenny's heart is broken for the sake of someone else's heart not to be broken. So, yeah, and it's gonna get clearer. I I don't know. Yeah, it's gonna get clearer in this episode. But yeah, he's married. They chose to break up because he's married, and to save his wife's heart. I guess. I guess. And like, and what he says later on is, "I'll always be married." And so it's a situation where he can't or won't get divorced. Yeah. Which is. Who knows what the reasoning is, but that was not uncommon back then. Huh. Yeah. But. And he, like, 
you know, read a lot between the lines, but he sounds old. Yeah. He doesn't sound like he is her schoolmate who has gotten married. He sounds no, like he he's sounds in like his... he's like a professor or a teacher yeah, or something. He sounds hers. like he's in his like 40s or 50s. Yeah. Just based on the voice. Mm-hmm. I think we're definitely meant to think that. We get very little full information, but enough to feel like it's a really good thing for Jenny to let this guy go. Yep. Man. Don't like him. No. <laughs> in the clinic... A pregnant woman named Catherine Powell sees Jenny, talking about how she's arrived to surprise her boyfriend. Jenny thinks she's looking big for only seven months, but when Jenny is distracted, Catherine leaves. Sister Monica Joan wanders the outdoor market, stealing as she goes. Chummy and Peter walk by the water, eating fish and talking about her mother's visit. Catherine Powell camps out at her boyfriend's apartment. Chummy's mother arrives to a very flustered Chummy. Sister Julienne talks with her, but Lady Brown is snobby. She comes to Chummy's room and insults where she lives, what she does, and Constable Noakes. When she leaves, Peter reassures Chummy that he loves her and hints that he'd like to marry her, but she cries and breaks up with them, leaving them both sad. The other nurses discuss the breakup, and Cynthia talks about running away from happiness. Jenny tries to call Gerald, but a woman answers and she hangs up. In the street, Sister Monica Jones steals a spoon and is confronted by the merchants. They call the police, and he brings her back to Nanata's house, where they find stolen goods in her room. They discover that she's been stealing quite a few things. Everyone is upset at Nanata's, including Chummy and Jenny. Jenny gets a call from Gerald, finally revealing to us that she, he is married, he wants her to see him. So let's get Gerald out of the way. Yeah, let's just get him out of the way. Uh, we started talking about this before the last recap, but mm-hmm. he is... I mean, when he when she calls and a woman picks up the phone, we know, what, I think, what that means. Yeah. The clues are pretty clear. But if, if there was any doubt... Uh, not only does he say he's married, but he's always, he always will be married. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you mentioned that a couple minutes ago, but like, it's, uh, I mean, Jenny plays it for herself as like this grand tragedy, but I, as a viewer, read it as like, he's a, uh, unworthy of you exactly yeah that's what i really feel when i watch it is that she's like i had this great love and this great and i can't be with him and stuff and i'm like i don't think he feels the same i don't know he says like i love you and i want to be with you and stuff but he's married he's married and always will be and always will be yeah exactly so So like he is not yeah i mean the the if this was, like, a rela- relationships post on Reddit, everyone would be saying, you know, dump his ass. So that's what I say. <laughs> yeah, me too. And, like, the ethics of affairs aside, and for me, I can't put it aside, but even putting that aside, they're like, he's not leaving his wife for you. Yeah. So the, you, there's your answer to how you rank in his affection. Exactly. Exactly. So get over him. I'm so on the get over him train. Yeah, let's just like put Gerald aside for now. Let's talk about Kathy. Kathy Powell. Yeah, she's kind of a small presence in the very first part of this episode. Basically to set up what she becomes later. 
I mean, when Jenny, I'll just say, she uh, shows up, she hasn't registered, She's her doctor is in Hull, they're in London. Mm-hmm. Hull, by the way, is 245 kilometers from London. Ooh, that's a long way in those so days, especially. Not, like, it's a two-hour train ride now. Yeah. Uh, it's not just next door Mm -hmm. we've had people who like my doctor's from here but i wanted to come instead yeah uh and i don't know actually if we've had it yet we will like and that's gonna happen sometimes it happens like my doctor's next neighborhood over this is not next neighborhood over Mm -hmm. this is like a long way away and then she's i'm just my suspicions are up when like you look further along than seven months. And she's like, oh, no, I'm definitely not. And I'm like, Jenny is the midwife. Mm -hmm. I think she knows. I did not see coming what does come. Mm -hmm. Which, again, we've watched to the end of the episode. We don't have to be coy. So there's triplets. It's triplets is why she's so big, is why Jenny thinks that she's further along than she is. And I just, like, I had this story pegged all wrong. Yeah, exactly. She's, like, way more pregnant than she thinks she is. Coming here to be with her boyfriend who isn't there squatting in his apartment. And she loves him so much, but he's just not present. Yeah. And I'm like, he's going to come home and discover that he's not the father and throw her out. And she's going to be destitute on the street. Yeah. That's what I was calling her story to be. Absolutely. But it's so not that eventually. But yeah, I agree that that is where you're thinking the story is going to go. And it's really surprising that it doesn't go there. Well, which is good. Which is why this show is, is a good show. Is it keeps you on your toes. And that like... I mean, we'll talk more about Kathy in the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But like... Kind of one of the things I think that Call the Midwife does is everything happens eventually. Mm-hmm. And like the unlikely kinds of stories, unlikely in good ways and bad ways. And like, I mean, it, there's a statistical rule, which is the law of very large numbers, which means that really unlikely things are less unlikely than you think they are because there are just so many people and so many minutes in the universe mm. that like think of a thing it has happened, almost certainly, because there's so many people doing so many things throughout the course of the world. Yeah. And, like, there's so many pregnancies in Poplar mm-hmm. that, like, triplets? Yeah, it happens. Not very often, but everything happens eventually. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, we'll come back to talk more about Kathy at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. I think. And I think, like, her presence is basically to seed her story at the end. She doesn't have a that strong of a present throughout the episode or that much of a connected story throughout the episode except that she is seeking love in the way that all of them are do you want to talk about uh chummy's yes story next? that is what i want to talk about so what do you want to oh chummy oh chummy. she's in, like such this like flustered state she's trying to make sandwiches fred comes in to help her and is like oh can we put a little maraschino cherry on these and she's like no <laughs> Do you not know that that is, like, so gauche? Yeah. <laughs> like, that, by the way, that. is a little bit cut from the Netflix. Oh, is The it? cherries. Yeah. Glazed cherries are, I forget exactly yeah. what she says, but they're like, glazed cherries are gauche is the idea. Yeah. I don't think that's the word she no, uses. No, that's the word she uses. 
But, but like her mother will not be impressed with glazed cherries. But then when her mother actually does come, she doesn't eat anything because yeah. she's like, have a salmon sandwich. Smoked? No tin. No, thank you. Like, she's like, so, so snobby. Earlier when Chummy and Peter are at the pier and they've had like jellied eels and oh. vinegar soaked whelks. And, yeah, exactly. And Constable Noakes is like, let's take your mother here. <laughs> Chummy's like... No. No. <laughs> she will have tea with the nuns on the best china, and then she will leave. Yeah, exactly. By the way, Netflix also cuts the jelly deals, and <laughs> there you can smell the vinegar, vinegar coming off of these whelks. And let me say, I'm not upset about that one. <laughs> Jellied eels. I love that what they're eating is like street fish. They're not like having ice going out for ice cream. They're going out for street fish, which I find hilarious. I'm just like, I'm as seafood uh, enthusiastic as I feel like anyone. Mm. But like vinegared whelks and jellied eels, (laughs) I have trouble imagining a street vendor food that would turn me off more. And then they make out. And then they make out. (laughs) That's the best part, is that they (laughs) smooch on the street having just eaten these, like, disgusting fishes. In their uniforms. In their uniforms, yes. No one can see except the whelk vendor. (laughs) That is lovely. It's a lovely scene. I love it. They are so sweet together and so in love. And then her mother just comes and ruins everything. Yeah. And like... Cynthia says immediately afterwards, Chummy was just cowed. Yeah. She didn't stand up for herself at all. And then when Peter is like, it's going to be okay because we have love, she has her mother's words in her head and she she breaks up with them. And it's just so devastating to both of them. I love Cynthia in that conversation, Mm -hmm. by the way, when she says it's not her caring what her mother thinks that I don't like. It's her being cowed by her mother. Yeah, exactly. Like, Cynthia sees the distinction. Yeah, very much. And like, yeah, it is heartbreaking. And her, her mother, the things that she says, she's like... You, it, you know, it would be acceptable if you were like a missionary and a spinster, but yeah. going off and marrying someone in a Poplar, man like or that. yeah, a man like that, or like even working in Poplar, working in the poor part of London is so much worse than working in the poor parts of the world, the colonies, which is very interesting. And then what she says specifically, like Chummy says, you sent me to this school and our motto was uh, work for the worthy. And her mother says, and who do you define as worthy? Mm-hmm. That, like, Chummy clearly took to heart the, like, for the worthy. And her sense of who the worthy is, is the people of Poplar. Mm-hmm. And her mother's sense of who the worthy is, is the, I mean, she says explicitly, is like the uh, custodians of the empire yeah, exactly. are the worthy. Yeah, and so like go to in- go to the colonies and help reestablish the colony to make sure that the worthy there are getting their due, mm-hmm. and the worthy means the colonizers. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Just like oh, it is. Her mother's the worst. Her mother is the worst. The worst. <laughs> um, Noakes talks about this is less uh, emotionally intense, but in their conversation, he talks about. Going out with a girl who wanted to be a mannequin. Yeah. Yeah. Catch that. And that's like old fashioned England for model. Yeah, exactly. 
And that's just, I don't have a lot to... I love, I also love that story that he's just like, she asked me about her eyebrows and I just did, and like, that was the end of that. Yeah. It was like, that wasn't what he wanted at all. And he fell for Chummy the moment he saw her and how sweet is that? It is so sweet. Oh. So their little breakup in the middle of this episode is really sad. Yeah. But it ends so well, so it's okay. And it's so clear that it's not what Chummy wants. I mean, Ooh. that's one of the... I'm sad for Peter. Peter, by the way, do not mention prostitution to Lady Brown. I know! What is wrong with him? And, like, one of the comic moments of, like, Lady Fortescue Chumley Brown. Oh, don't stand on ceremony. Lady Brown will do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't like her, but I like her as a character. Like, yeah. she's a terrible person, but she's a wonderful character. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, so Sister Monica Joan... So Sister Monica Joan. ...is a thief. Uh, what we see earlier of her is going to the market, and she's stealing then, but she does have a woman offer her food for free. Yeah. So she has... And you really see where the confusion lies for her is, as a nun and as historically for her, she's been this pillar in the community where people just gave her things because she had delivered their babies and she talks to this woman at the grocer's stand. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah, about like, you know, oh, and she pulls the information out of her head. Monica Joan just like plucks this information out of the air of when she was born. Yeah, is it? I wasn't Or clear. when she had is a baby, it... I wasn't sure either. Because of the age of the woman, I thought that it was when she was born rather than when she had a baby because she was not... I mean, she wasn't yeah, super young. I but... thought it was when she was born. It was 1941 and this is 1957-ish. So yeah, I think that... But it's hard to know. It's hard to know. I don't anyway, know. Either way, it's either when she gave birth or when, or when she was born. Either way... Sister Monica Joan plucks the information about this woman. And so it's, she has this history here. She ha- is used to free stuff being given to her. Yep. And so... It, and we see in that interaction her so being clever. fairly uh, entitled yes. about it. Because like, she's like... Have a fruit? Yes, have a box of the pears. Deliver them to, to Nana's house. house. Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> yeah exactly it's like how she wants her to take a pair she asks for a pound of pears and she's like okay here you go oh you can deliver that to nana's house it's like that's not what i was offering but okay but okay you know and there's a bit of like yeah the that scene shows how sister monica joan can be stealing it shows how she expects to be treated and has gotten used to being treated everywhere mm-hmm. she goes and it shows, like, this confusion, this uncertainty about her mental state, that she can remember things. And one way of reading it is that her uh, mental faculties come and go. Mm-hmm. And another way of reading it is that, like, she remembers the things that matter. Yeah. And the people in the community matter to her. Exactly. That whole interaction's cut from the Netflix Really? Everything about the pears. Oh, see, I feel like that's so vital. Me too. To understanding why she does it. So she walks through the market and steals the ribbon. Mm-hmm. But the thing about the pears is cut out mm. of the Netflix. Interesting. Interesting. I agree. I would, this is another one where like, it's not a subplot, but I would say that's like a pivotal scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then she gets caught. 
she steals the spoon and the version comes out to con- to confront her he calls her a god botherer yeah which how's that for a saying it's uh it means i mean it's pretty clear what it means yeah. but it, it, it's someone who bothers people on mm-hmm. behalf of god yeah it's exactly. an englishism yeah Yep. He calls her a bo- god bother in a penguin dress. Yeah. And like through the whole episode, all his interactions with her are so not just because she stole from him. Like mm-hmm. he d- hidden in your pinafore. And then later he's the one in the trial who's like, oh, shut up and get back to your knitting. Yeah. Which exactly. that line's cut from the Netflix also. Shut mm-hmm. up and get back to your knitting. But like calls her a god bother. We see again like don't draw it out but like he doesn't like her already yeah exactly exactly yep and then she gets caught and uh the police come i like i love the little moment oh i love the like peter's so awkward because chummy is there and like he comes and he knows where and he the moment where he knows he corrects the sergeant about sister monica jones name because he's connected to this Mm-hmm. Uh, these this midwives place. and nuns in this place. Mm-hmm. But he looks uncomfortable and is unhappy to be there too. Yeah. And because he knows Sister Monica Joan and is unhappy that she's been arrested. Yeah. One of the other things that Netflix cuts, Sister uh, Julianne says, well, you can go and search her rooms. And Netflix cuts out with her permission, of course. Hmm. Netflix cuts out with her permission. Yeah. And says, just go search her rooms. Hmm. And that's also, like, with her permission, it shows something about Sister Julianne. It, it shows something about Sister Monica Jones' place here, that even when she's accused of a crime, she has, the nuns give her her dignity and her, like, agency. agency even as a nun with a vow of obedience, it says something about the kind of superior that Sister Julianne is. Mm-hmm. And it also says something about, if we had doubt, about Sister Monica Jones' mental uh, acuity. Mm-hmm. Because with her permission, and she's like, sure, yes, you have my permission to mm-hmm. search my rooms. Because she doesn't think they'll find anything because she isn't really recognized that she has been stealing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And what she's been stealing is just, like, utter nonsense. Like, as... What, like nylons, which the nuns don't wear, denture cleaners when she doesn't wear dentures. It's just like, it's all just like complete nonsense. She's just magpieing all this stuff away. Yeah. Um, and we can conclude that she stole the silk last episode for Chummy. Yes. To wear. Yep. Because where else would she have gotten it from? Yep. Indeed. Moving on. Jenny goes to comfort Sister Monica Joan and discovers jewelry in her dresser. Later, Jenny returns to try and hide it, but it's, it has been moved. The nurses play Monopoly, and Trixie tells her to forget what she saw in Sister Monica Joan's room. The nuns work on handicrafts and attempt not to talk about Sister Monica Joan or Chummy. <laughs> The jewelry falls out of Sister Monica Jones' knitting bag. The nuns report it, and Jenny confesses she's known for three days. Sister Julianne is upset with her. Chummy and Jenny meet in the chapel at Anata's house, and Chummy hints 
about taking holy orders in order to avoid her problems. Jenny confesses about her love affair, and they both cry. Sister Monica Joan goes to trial, and Dr. Turner is asked how her health is. Sister Monica Joan interrupts and claims she understands the charges against her. Catherine Powell, meanwhile, is in her boyfriend's flat and goes into labor. She calls Chummy and collapses in the hallway. Sister Monica Joan says they need to call Mother Jesu for an explanation on the jewelry. Jenny tries to call, but with no answer, Jimmy comes to drive Jenny to the mother house. The um, finding Jenny, like, finding the jewels, the moment there where, again, Sister Monica Joan is so, like, lucid and not Mm -hmm. and flipping back and forth and she like i don't have any handkerchiefs they took them all and they took all my ribbons and my uh trinkets and i needed them Mm -hmm. the way she puts that like i needed them all i'm like why did she need them yeah is it because she remembers a life before poverty I think and so. She's, she's reverting to her childhood this little bit. She misses her mother. She misses those comforts. She's been, you know, these nuns take a vow of poverty and she is wanting things again. She wants things because she wants, she had things in her childhood. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jenny finds the jewels and Sister Monica Jones says, have you no secrets? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like... Shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um I don't know how to how to choose to talk about this. Will we go through uh plot strand by plot strand? Let's go through plot strand by plot strand. Then let's follow Jenny okay. first. Because the next thing that like Jenny, Netflix also cuts out Sister Julianne yelling at Jenny for oh, hiding yeah. the deceit. Mm-hmm. And that's like another critical moment, I feel like. And I love Jenny is like, Sister Julianne says to Jenny, don't say you did it for love. Deceit compounds deceit. Yeah. And love is no excuse. Mm-hmm. And Jenny, both in the present, um, both young Jenny and mature Jenny, very like rosy eyed I did it for love and in her narration she's like I did it all for love mm-hmm. and we have Sister Julienne being like love is no excuse you have to do the right thing anyway. Exactly and like as if Sister Julienne doesn't love Sister Monica Joan way more Yeah, she's been around her for way longer and I like these moments where I wouldn't say that Mature Jenny is an unreliable narrator, but I would say that Mature Jenny's uh, romantic view Mm -hmm. is not always upheld by what we see. Yeah. And then the, like... Can I just mention the nuns playing Monopoly? uh, Not the the, the nurses playing Monopoly? Yep is fun and like they're getting drunk cynthia's drunk they cut out cynthia being drunk in the netflix oh man and (laughs) but trixie is awful yeah and i'm surprised to like watch this show again from the beginning and be like 
Oh, Trixie was not the greatest in that first season. She says, I think they tone her down later on because she, like, I'm in jail. Hello, Sister Monica Joan. I ha, know. Ha, ha. I'm like, like, really? Really, Trixie? And I mean, they kind of back it off even within that scene. She's like, don't tell about the jewelry because she loves Sister Monica Joan too. And she has, like what you said about uh, Sister Julianne loves Sister Monica Joan more than Jenny does Trixie. It's, yeah, it's Trixie a as version well. of the same scene, right? Mm-hmm. That Jenny says, I just care for her. And Trixie is like, goes from giggle, giggle, hello, Monica Joan in jail. Yeah. to like, We all care for her. Yeah, exactly. Like, who do you think you are? Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's the newest one to the South, besides Chummy. Like, keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut, <laughs> exactly. But I agree, Trixie all season has been a little more callous than she's gonna be. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think she basically learns to control her mouth later yeah. on. Like, she, she sometimes bursts, things burst out of her that shouldn't burst out of her. And that is true of a true person and maybe it's uh the way it is in general for on this show is when we first meet people we have a certain impression of them but as time goes by whether that's a short amount of time like for example Catherine powell in this episode or for like over several seasons like trixie will be they change they mature they and almost always on this show, we get to like people better the more we know them. Exactly, because we see all their round edges. We see all of their their uh, trials, their joys, their uh, their past that shaped them, all those things. And it's kind of been even Sister Evangelina in this season has been that. that like in the first episode, Sister Evangelina's pretty rough. Yeah. I mean, by the, or in the first episode... By the end of the first episode, we see her soften a bit, but mm-hmm. our introduction to her is pretty, like, yeah, blunt and rough. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it takes longer. But I, one of the things I love about this show, because it's one of the things that is true, right? People can get annoying, uh, and knowing people better doesn't always make you like them more, really. Mm-hmm. Except that it kind of does. Because the less you like someone, the simpler they are. Mm-hmm. And the more you know someone, the more complicated they are, the more, like, those things go together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is, like, a stupid um, exercise I remember doing in, like, high school or something, where it was, like, think of somebody that you don't like and describe them in one word. Now think of your very best friend and describe them in one word. And it's so easy to describe someone you dislike in a word and so hard to describe someone you love in a word. Yeah. And it's this show kind of, the more you know the characters, the more you like them, the more complicated and nuanced they are, the more likable they are, because that's, people are complicated and nuanced and likable. Absolutely. Absolutely. The uh, end of Jenny's plot in this little section is she calls, she calls for the, uh, Sister Jesu Manuel and no one answers. Mm-hmm. And that, by the way, Sister Julianne says, I wouldn't expect an answer during the Great Silence. Mm-hmm. Um, have we talked about what the Great Silence we is? We haven't yet. And what? how long does that last? So the Great Silence is a period of silence between Compline and Lauds. So Compline is about nine o'clock and they would go to right to bed, mm-hmm. in theory. And Lauds is like 
six in the morning, hmm. uh, first prayer of the day. Right. So in between the last prayer of the day and the first prayer of the day, you have silence. We see in this episode, and we've seen before, um, they're not super strict about the great silence. Yeah. And obviously the Nanatan nuns are not super strict because they're still midwives. Midwives. Yeah. That's accurate. Uh, no order of Christian nuns or monks are very strict about the silence. In fact, right. it's always you can speak when necessary. Mm-hmm. It's always great silence is like, don't speak except when necessary. Yeah. And when necessary, you can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and there's no order of Christian monks, monks or nuns that are like silent all the time. Mm-hmm. That's something we see in the media, but isn't has never been real. Yeah. But it's the prayer we keep hearing the nuns sing, Compline marks the last thing they do before silence, mm-hmm. before the day starts. Right. Um, but then they call for a car, and she calls Jimmy. I'm like, last episode I was hard on Jimmy. Yeah. This is, I like Jimmy in this episode. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Jimmy is like, I mean, he is not great. I don't want them to get together. No, no, like, no, definitely not. I like Jimmy a lot more in this episode for like, he comes when she calls to help because he helps. Mm-hmm. And another thing, the car that says Lady Chatterley's lover on it. Right. Or Lady Chatterley on it. Um, did we talk about what that is? We forgot to talk about the car last time. We talked about it, but we didn't talk about what was written on it, including... Uh, don't laugh, madam, your daughter may be inside. We did talk about that last okay. time. That, that this time was not only on the back of the car, but hanging over each window on the sides of the car yep. as well. Yep. So this car. <laughs> this car. I do like the flowers on it. That's hilarious. Yeah, but can you speak to what Lady Chatterley's Lover is, is and is about? Lady Chatterley's Lover is a novel about a woman having an affair and a sexual awakening. It was... It, uh, it is notoriously explicit mm-hmm. and scandalous. in its language and scandalous. It was the subject of a famous obscenity trial in 1959. Mm. So like right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it won the trial because the Obscenity Act of 1959, under which it was uh, tried, said that publishers... Uh, couldn't be convicted if they could demonstra- demonstrate literary merit. Hmm. And they did. Yeah. Whatever that means. They convinced They convinced the judge that Lady Chatterley's lover has literary merit. So then when Sister Monica Jones says it has the name of a lewd book on the bonnet, mm-hmm. like it's not just any lewd book. It's like a publicized obscenity trial book. Oh, wow. On the cover. <laughs> Of, of the car. Yeah. They're like, uh, choose your manual, won't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, Sister Evangelina asks Jenny if she needs a chaperone. Mm-hmm. And that I like, too, because it's like, Sister Evangelina is not asking, I like, Sister Evangelina is not protecting Jenny's morals. She is not saying, like, Jenny, are you going to do bad things if I'm not here to make keep you in check Mm -hmm. she's asking jenny if jenny's gonna be safe yeah like she's asking this car that says your your daughter may be inside and lady chatterley's lover on the bonnet like do you need me to be with you to keep you safe from him yeah and i like it as a moment because it shows sister evangelina like i mean it shows 
what we keep seeing about Sister Evangelina, that when their chips are down, she... Yeah, she cares about Cares people. about all the people. Mm-hmm. And it also shows that, like, Jenny might not want to be with Jimmy, but she trusts him. Mm-hmm. So it shows something about both of those people that yeah, moment. Yeah, absolutely. So the trial. Should we get to the trial? So the trial. Um, the trial is cut a little bit short by Netflix. Okay. Um, we don't really have to talk about how, except maybe that one of my favorite parts of the trial gets cut out of the Netflix, which is when Sister when uh, Sister Julianne says, this is your barrister, let your him speak for you. And Sister Monica Jones says, none should presume to speak for another. That's cut out from Netflix. Mm. She says, none should presume to speak for another. All judgment comes from God, and we will all stand naked and alone before his throne. Yeah. And the merchant who doesn't like her snorts audibly. Yeah. But I think that's another key moment in this episode Mm -hmm. that comes back to the psalm at the beginning. That where does your help come from, Sister Monica Joan? It comes from the Lord. And who is your judge, Sister Monica Joan? I'm going to stand before God's throne. And it's like, again, is she willfully eccentric? When she refuses to kind of accept the authority of the court. Mm Mm-hmm. We can kind of believe that Sister Monica Joan, fully lucid, might not accept the authority of a civil court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She is... There's a lot of levity in this trial. There's the, like, this is your barrister. Well, he's not very good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is, like... uh, Her not being able to keep quiet for even a second... Uh, Dr. Turner, we have seen be uh, bad with bedside manner in the past, but I feel like this is soft Dr. Turner who really wants the best for Sister Monica Joan. As her physician and as the, you know, the doctor of Poplar, he wants her not to go to jail. And he'll say, you know, he wants to say, you know, she's not, she has dementia, she'll... I don't believe she. I don't knows believe she knows what's what's happening here. But and a court has to accept when the tri- when the accused says, "I understand the charges." So, like, what else are they gonna do? Yeah, and it's a thing that we've seen before, and we'll continue to see about Sister Monica Joan. That, like, although Sister Bernadette says we're not sure whether she has dementia or is willfully eccentric, Sister Monica Joan does not want to be seen as having dementia yes does not want to be seen as mentally frail no and like it's more important to her that she assert her mental facilities than that she stay out of jail yeah exactly exactly and that's also like maybe that's because she has dementia and doesn't understand really what jail is yeah or maybe i get a bit of a sense that her at her most lucid would still make that same choice yeah Exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah. What do you think of uh, Chummy becoming a nun? <laughs> oh, of course she would think that. Of course, it, like, she's the most religious of all the of all the nurses that we've seen so far. Uh, and I, I feel like, of course, she, this crosses her mind that yeah. 
she could be called to a religious life. And I mean, early in the very first or second episode, this first episode she, she appears in, Sister uh, Evangelina asks her, you know, are you called to a religious life? Oh, no, there's to be some, some chap along the way. And now there has been a chap along the way. And it's not working out the way she wants. And so she's like, well, maybe I will turn to religious life. Yep. But of course, she's not going to. <laughs> I guess, of course. Well, I feel like, like you say, she's the most religious of the nurses. And if any of them was going to turn to religious life, I would kind of believe it of chummy yeah that's true because that's true. of what we've seen before mm-hmm. i mean she, even because of what we saw in the first episode yeah that she was in yeah. yeah and then jenny says it wouldn't be a solution it would be a hiding place mm-hmm. and obviously jenny She's is talking about herself. herself yeah exactly so speaking of chummy chummy arrives to help Catherine dropping her delivery pack in a puddle on the way there, and then finding that there is no power in the flat. (laughs) Chummy delivers the baby without much difficulty, but before long, another baby is born. The last candle goes out, and Chummy brings her bicycle up just in time for a triplet to be born, which she wraps in her own dress. Jenny and Jimmy sit in the car and talk about how she hurt him and that Jenny is sorry. Chummy goes to visit Constable Noakes after delivering the babies. She tells him she loves him and that she's practically naked under her coat. (laughs) Mother Jesu arrives just in time to tell the court that Sister Monica Joan's mother gave the jewelry to the order and that she gave them to Sister Monica Joan. She is acquitted and mature Jenny narrates about refusing to see Gerald and writes him to say goodbye. Chummy's mother calls, and they talk about churches. Chummy standing up for herself, saying that she'll be married in the nearby church, and that she can no longer wear white. (laughs) Chummy and Peter are married to the cheers of everyone except her mother. Mature (laughs) Jenny narrates that she found grace, faith, and hope in the East End, but mostly love. End of season one. (sighs) Let's talk about Kathy first. Yep. Um... You keep calling her Catherine, and I wrote down in my notes Kathy, and I don't know. She goes by both, yeah, and she's Kathy or Catherine. I just, I was just wondering. Okay, but uh, she is very not ready. Yeah. And Chummy is very not ready. Mm Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, Mother Jesu Emanuel is not ready. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a real, like, everything and everyone isn't ready for what they need in this last part of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. And then the the triplets, like, she is seriously not ready. <laughs> no. That is, like, <laughs> phenomenal. And I remembered this element to this episode. I remembered, I remembered there being an episode with surprise triplets and it being crazy. I forgot that it was Chummy. I thought it was Jenny. Mm-hmm. And I forgot the conclusion of it, but it's just like, she's in this apartment that is not prepared for a baby yet because she doesn't think she's, it's going to be baby time because she's, she's only seven like months. seven months pregnant. Yeah. So, uh, she, and then the pa- there's no power because the power bill hasn't been paid mm-hmm. because they're eager to cut off power to poverty. And because, uh her billy the her boyfriend who owns the place 
is off sailing and doesn't need power. Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, and then, like, the the first birth goes great. Like, she, Chummy delivers the baby. It's by candlelight. She does well. She does everything. She has the blanket to wrap the baby in. She doesn't have her proper delivery pack because she's dropped it in the mud on the way, oh. which is such a chummy thing to do is have a moment of uh, I, clumsiness. Can I just, like, I love a million times that dropping it in the mud is such a chummy thing to do and, uh... Pulling it off anyway, and then wrapping the baby in her own clothes is also such a chummy thing to do. Exactly. Exactly. So then, yeah, the next two triplets are wrapped first in her sweater and then in her dress. (laughs) Um, And so I love just like her coming into her own in this moment of like, I can do this. Look at this crazy thing that I did. I used my own clothes. I did all this stuff. I can marry whoever I want to marry. Yeah. And she and immediately two... goes. She doesn't even go home to get dressed. She immediately goes to go see Peter. I feel like there's two things that are possible or that come together to spark Chummy in this. And one is, uh, Kathy says... Billy, I never had enough, and he was like so much. And then when I was with him, it was the bravest and best thing I ever did to choose to be with him. And now I have, you know, the triplets. I feel like there's a a bit of having triplets means you have a lot. It also kind of means you don't have enough now. Yeah. But, like, metaphorically, she has more than enough love Mm -hmm. now, overflowing with love. And that's why there's triplets, because it symbolizes... Yeah. more and more than you could possibly need or want uh, in a good way. Yeah. But then the other thing, so it's partly like Chummy's like, well, if she chose love and even when it, you know, it was the best and bravest thing she ever did, she's inspired by Kathy's story. Yes. Then also she's inspired by her own competence. Yeah, exactly. And I love those two things together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Peter, is she coming in? She's like, I wish to confess. And Peter's like, face is like, I'm not sure. I mean, he's been pining after her since he broke. she broke up with him. But mm-hmm. his, he's like, read between his the lines on his face. is like, I'm not sure I want to just forgive you the second you walk in. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I'm practically naked under this coat. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a <laughs> wonderful moment. <laughs> He just cannot maintain his serious face. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful moment. (sighs) And then Chummy standing up to her mother like, Mm -hmm. no more cowed Chummy. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to get married in any other... I'm going to get married in the local parish. The nuns are going to give a a luncheon and this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. I love it. And I love the wedding where the... The nurses hold the Pinard horns up, and the and the uh, cops are holding their like billy clubs. I think, yeah. up, and they walk underneath. That's that's just a sweet moment. It's, it's sweet a well, and it's well directed. It's well done. It's it's a really uh, photographical, photographical. No, <laughs> photogenic. Not photogenic either. <laughs> Kodak Cinematic? moment. Cinematic. Sure. <laughs> it's a lovely moment. Just it's a lovely moment. The the Pinard horns I didn't recognize on first sight. Oh, yeah. But like, yeah. That's the tools of I mean, midwifery. I did the second time through. Yeah. But I also like scandal. Put my hand over my mouth and gasp, but uh, I can't wear white. 
I'm no longer entitled. <laughs> Which is in the book. Oh, really? Yes, it is in the in the book about Chummy that she's marrying, getting married, and her mother comes to get her wedding outfit, and Chummy says that she's not going to wear white because she's not entitled to wear white. That's like, I mean, it's both scandal, but it's also like, uh, really standing up to her mother and for herself and mm-hmm. for like she, that's serious not cowed yeah absolutely <laughs> right? absolutely not even gonna pretend yep i'm not gonna pretend to be someone i'm not something i'm not i'm mm-hmm. i'm me yep i didn't think about till right now and i don't think there's anything to it but i'm just looking at my notes like uh she says uh I'm practically naked under this coat, and Sister Monica Jones says, "We'll all stand naked before God, our Judge." Hmm. I don't think I don't that's think anything. It's <laughs> I just saw the word "naked" twice in my notes. It was like, <laughs> huh. naked. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, we didn't say about Kathy. Yes. We we went off to Chummy, but let's wrap up Kathy to say we get the last shot of Kathy with her triplets and Billy there, holding one of them, and like, that, yeah, everything's fine. Everything is fine. Yeah. They come to the wedding. They come to the wedding. Are they married or dating? It doesn't matter. They're happy together. Yeah. And she's back in her heels. Back in her heels. They're her trademark. (laughs) (laughs) She always wears heels. Man, do I hate high heels. (laughs) But it just like, I thought that we were seeding some kind of Billy's going to come back and not love her the way that she is pining away for him because he hasn't been here. Yeah. But no. Nope. He just was away as a sailor, and now he's back, and he's happy with her triplets. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Yeah. It's just like a Although, bit of a second. can you imagine coming back from working as a sailor to your girlfriend's here, and she had triplets while you were gone? Like, does Hello, he, daddy. <laughs> does he know that she's pregnant, I hope? She's been writing to him, but he hasn't been writing to her. Yes. Was the reason that she came. I'm not so, writing as much as she wants him yeah, to. Yeah, she wants him to. And so I think that he would know he that would she's pregnant. <laughs> I would really hope she knew. Well, he does now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, I want to talk... Can we talk about Jimmy and Jenny one yeah. more time? Yeah. This, I said I like Jimmy in this episode. And this little section is maybe my favorite Jimmy. Hmm. I've not liked him from the beginning. I've thought he's kind of a smug, uh, entitled guy. Mm-hmm. When she's he's like, they're all closed up, just like you. That's yeah. like, oh, come on, Jimmy. But then she says, Jimmy, you've been so kind. And he says, well, I would never be unkind. What would be the point of that? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Jimmy, that, you got me right there. Mm-hmm. And then... When she says, I'm sorry I hurt you. And he says, you can survive hurt. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. Like that's, Jimmy never wins me over more than in that, those two. What would be the point of being unkind and you can survive being hurt? Yeah. I'm like, true. okay, okay, you're, you're, you're an okay guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that mo that too, that like thematically that idea that you can survive hurt like it's a small deal with him plot wise mm-hmm. uh it's like we're pushing it with jenny and i'm not too moved by jenny's hurt heartbreak with gerald but we're pushing it in this mm-hmm. episode yeah we have every childbirth 
that theme comes in mm-hmm. and in this one too like yeah. every time she says it hurts like she uses the word hurt which they don't always mm-hmm. but does it supposed to hurt this much it hurts it hurts so much it hurts again and i can't do it because it hurts and yeah. you can survive hurt mm-hmm. and she's happy when they're born and yeah. she does survive hurt and then we have sister monica jones i mean we have chummy surviving the hurt of her mother mm-hmm. but then sister monica jones the way that uh Mother Jesu Emmanuel describes the gifts, the legacy from her mother is it's balm for an old wound. Mm-hmm. And it's by it becomes the end of the episode becomes instead of being about how I think the end of the episode instead of being about the old wound is about the balm. You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think you're right. Like it could easily but, have been about how old wounds don't heal and they fester and the hurts of childhood come back and she didn't think that they would. Mm-hmm. But instead they take it one step beyond that or in a different direction from that and make it about the bombs for an old wound mm-hmm. and that her mother gave her a legacy and that she didn't recognize it, but it was there. Yeah. And that Sister Monica Jones survived hurt. Mm-hmm. And that Mother Jesu Emanuel is a nurse and a midwife and wants to... Uh, bring comfort. Bring comfort and reduce suffering. Mm-hmm. And their vow of poverty and is less important than a balm for an old wound for an old woman who is sad and lonely. Yeah. And in the end, I think that we that Jenny, her last words of like what she finds in the East End and finding love, and that's the bomb for her wounds, her mm-hmm. heartbreak, is she, it's hinted at that she's running away from it. She, she kind of thinks she's running away from it. But in the end, the conclusion is that she's not running away, but finding love. Yeah. And finding a bomb in the East End. Yeah. So that's the end of season one. Do you have any, like, I don't, this may be an unfair question because I don't have an answer for it, but do you have any, like, thoughts thinking back over the whole season? I think that this season focused mainly on Jenny Mm -hmm. and her kind of arc of becoming comfortable, fitting in, finding love and finding uh, her place in the East End in in what she's doing. And so I think that's kind of the overarching theme of these six episodes is now Jenny is settled in. Yeah. I don't remember and we'll find out. Uh, we're supposed to be not spoilery anyway. I don't remember whether this is the last we see of Jimmy or in the last we hear of Gerald. I kind of hope it's both because this is like this season was transitioning Jenny out of a something and into the East End and mm-hmm. now she's here. Yeah. And now we can go towards the future of her life there without so much looking backwards towards the past. Yeah. Uh, favorite moments from this episode? I... I really like Sister Monica Jones. I mean, I really like Sister Monica Joan in the court saying that uh, we all 
stand before God as our judge. And I don't know. I think that that's like... I agree with that. Mm. And I found, find it moving. And I find it uh, powerful. Yeah. How about you? In a totally different direction. I... <laughs> I'm all about like romantic subplots, so oh, Chummy, <laughs> Chummy and and Peter, the the practically naked under my coat is just <laughs> so such a stellar line. And then she delivers it as if she's ordering a plate of chips. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Trixie's seduction lessons from like two episodes ago totally paid off. Um, yeah. So I think like that moment and like them getting married yeah is the the this episode covers a crazy amount of time because it covers from like he hints that he might want to marry her she breaks up with him they get back together and boom they're married yeah and like if we pay attention it can't have been that long because kathy is seven months when she arrives and has given birth to triplets they're not, we don't hear any concern that they're premature, but it's uncommon to carry triplets to full term because mm-hmm. they're big and there's, you know, like... Yeah, there's three of them. There's three of them. Um, They also go to the hospital immediately afterwards. Yeah. They show her being taken away in an ambulance. So it can't have been that long. Can't have been that long. <laughs> so they just, like... They just get married right they away? They just get married right away. Good. Like, I'm so glad. No point in waiting. <laughs> I'm super happy for them. I'm, like, so happy for them. <laughs> we love jan i know it's so sweet yeah yeah that's basically my favorite moment is that specific moment but in general peter and getting married all right well we will be back with season two soon Mm -hmm. in between now and season two do you want to uh talk a bit about what we were we what we would plan to had to Absolutely. We are having a few little mini-sodes in between uh, seasons. So in our mini-sodes, we are going to talk about birth stories. We're I'm going to tell my two birth stories for my two kids. If anyone out there listening would like to include their own birth stories about uh, giving birth or uh, an adoption story about how they acquired their children in whatever <laughs> means they did. I would love to hear any stories. Uh, so you'll hear mine and maybe get a sense of what exactly we're looking for. But my story is literally just how the birthing process worked. Your story could be anything. And we'd love to just hear about how every birth is different because every birth is different. Uh, so you can look for those in your feed coming soon. And in a few more weeks, we'll have, we'll start up season two, starting with the Christmas special. I am really looking forward to that. Uh, You can send that by email, either as a text file that Jan will read. I won't be reading people's birth stories in my voice, don't worry. Um, (laughs) Jan will read them for you if you send it as a text, or you can send a recording of your voice. You can send that to poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can also contact us with other thoughts about Call the Midwife or about Poplar Opinion. You can do that on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. And if you like this show and you would like us to keep making it, 
uh, you can support us at uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Thank you very much for listening to this episode and to this whole first season. We have been so excited about it, and I'm really looking forward to season two. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion.